On today's show, Jabari Smith Jr. leads the Houston Rockets for this second consecutive game in scoring and has a strong showing against the Chicago Bulls. How he is starting to come alive here in this final stretch of the season. Plus, Kevin Porter Jr. sulking, giving up on a play early in the game against the Bulls and then having an interaction, and altercation with Lionel Hollins on the sideline in the second quarter. We're going to break down all of that and more coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. The Houston Rockets select Jalen Green, Alperon Shengun, and Jabari Smith Jr. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Hey, Houston fans, I am so happy. You're getting somebody who's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, somebody who's going to come, come in and compete from day one. Six, five, four, three, two. One. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin. And the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube, where I want your thoughts on Jabari Smith Jr.'s performance against the Bulls, as well as your thoughts on what is going on with Kevin Porter Jr. and the two, not one, but two occurrences we saw in this Bulls game that might be cause for concern moving forward. Now, as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making LOR part of your day every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's PrizePicks.com promo code Locked On. Joining us now is your weekly co-host, none other than the Podfather himself, Rockets Wire editor and host of the Logger Line podcast, Ben Dubose. You can follow on Twitter at Ben Dubose, and we're going to get into some of the. We're going to focus on the bigger. The, there's two really big stories here from the Rockets Bulls game Saturday night. Rockets ultimately losing this one, 119-111. They were kind of in this game up until the closing mm-hmm. moments when things started to really just unravel for this Rockets team. We're going to focus on the good, the positive from this game, the yeah. biggest positive, which is Jabari Smith Jr., it, it, he's he's looking like he's coming alive here at the end of the season, Ben, which is a very, very welcome development. We're going to unpack what we saw from his game in this one. Then we're also going to talk about Kevin Porter Jr., who had some not-so-great moments in this game that currently have Rockets fans scratching their heads trying to figure out what exactly is going on with Kevin. So we're going to unpack that a little bit later in the show. But let's start with Jabari, who finished this game 20 points, 8 of 14 shooting, 2 of 5 from three-point land, which before the final closing 60 seconds when he had not one but two kind of Hail Mary three-pointers that were contested, not great shots. He was Mm -hmm. 2 of 3 from from long distance and 8 of 12 on the evening. Uh, He had 10 boards, so another double-double, another 2010 game for Jabari. Yep. He, he does this on the back of his best game of his career against the Indiana Pacers, the 30-burger with the game-tying shot to send it to overtime. This is the first time all season that Jabari Smith Jr. has led the Rockets in scoring in back-to-back games. It's done. It's happened a few times where he's led the team in scoring before this, but this is the first time all season that he's done it in back-to-back games. I think we're really starting to see the version of Jabari Smith Jr. Yep. that we thought we were going to get much earlier on in his career. 
Yeah, I do too. And by the way, let's acknowledge his fellow rookie, Tari Eason, who hit four threes last night, right? Absolutely. Tari yeah. was, Tari, so, Tari's three-point shot being consistent has been one of the yep. best developments of the season. I think nearly 38% now. And so that's really promising for his long-term future when you combine that with the obvious hustle and defense that goes with Tari Eason. But yeah, Jabari, as the number three overall pick, is clearly the bigger story. And look, let's just be honest. This last week of Rockets basketball, for everyone who tries to frame the complaining from the fan base as simply just people being unable to handle a rebuild. There might be parts of that that are true based on the fact that, you know, this particular fan base in Houston has not had to do this in quite some time. But I also do think that there are some unique things to this particular season that have been really, really frustrating. And so when you look at the past week, they're two and three. I know the two wins were against the Spurs, but wins are wins. And then of the three losses, two of them came in overtime to Indiana and then to Chicago, where they led for most of the game. Those you will live with. Quite frankly, those feel like wins, games in which you basically led the majority of the way. You were right there or within striking distance. Your young guys, particularly Jabari Smith Jr., went out and played really, really well. And you just found a way late in the game to sort of preserve the uh, the tankathon, if you will, and get the loss anyway. These are the types of losses that I think fans would have been much more okay with this season if it was happening much more frequently over the first four months. These are not the depressing losses where you just have to scratch your head and squint to try and find any positive. Look, the, the Rockets are still a bad team. They're 15 and 52. That record speaks for itself. But when you have young guys showing out the way Jabari Smith Jr. and Tari Eason did last night, and for Jabari the last five games, these are the types of losses that you will accept. These are the ones that will leave you with hope of a better tomorrow, especially if you supplement your young guys this offseason with more veterans. We'll see what happens with the coaching staff and so on and so forth. With Jabari in particular, you could see starting with those two Spurs games a week ago that the breakout was starting, that he finally had his first couple of solid shooting games in a row in really about six weeks. And I asked Steven Silas about how much of the Jabari turnaround was them working on his mechanics versus how much was confidence. And clearly, I do think they've worked some on his mechanics. It looks to me like there's a bit more arc on his shot now. I think he's using his legs a little bit more from above the break. We've talked about that in the past, why his numbers are a lot better in the corners than from the top and the wing. And I think it's because the corners are the shorter shot. And so he's having to adjust first year out of college to the longer NBA three-point line. So I do think there's some mechanical things that John Lucas and other coaches on the staff have worked with him on. But I really think the bigger thing with Jabari is just building his confidence. And that's what Steven said to me when I asked that question. He said, we have seen him make way too many in practices and our drills to think that, and I'm paraphrasing here, that his form is fatally flawed or that there's something that just won't work with it. The way Steven sees it, and I think we're starting to see this play out on the court over the last week or so, it's just a matter of seeing the ball go through the bucket. And once that starts to happen, then it's going to snowball in a positive way. And I can relate to it. I'm someone, now certainly I never played at anywhere near an NBA level, but when I play basketball, my biggest strength is as a shooter. And when I go through struggles and I'm not able to shoot the way I know I'm capable of, Many times, it's especially the wide open shots, which is, you know, what's discouraged us a lot this year. Is some of these wide open looks that Jabari will just clank by a lot. In many ways, those are the ones that you will overthink because you'll go into it and thinking, man, I have got to make this shot if I'm this open, because if I don't, how do I justify 
being on the court? How do I justify taking these shots away from my teammates who are pulling their weight? And so just that split second of hesitation, thinking about, am I going to take this shot? And if I do, is my form right? Is everything in line? That can throw off the entire rhythm of what you're trying to do. And Jabari said that in a story at Rockets Wire that Brian Bearfield, Big Star Sports on Twitter, put together in the middle of last week. Someone asked him at uh, practice if some of his struggles were related to, to confidence. And Jabari said he wouldn't necessarily call it confidence, but he does think that he was overthinking it. And as a player, I could see that as well. Again, that's when I go back to my struggles, When and every shooter goes through it from time to time. Yeah, it's not so much that I don't want to take the shot, but it's just like you sort of know you have to. If you pass on a wide open shot and give it back to teammates who are in bad positions, then you know your offense is just cluttered. But there is a sort of just thing nagging at the back of your mind where you think, hey, I've got to make the shot. I've got to make sure this goes in because if not, how do I justify myself? And he's a 19-year-old rookie playing with and against grown men. So there's a lot to unpack when it comes to struggles in the NBA as a rookie. And I think a lot of things snowball for Jabari, especially the last couple of months. But now it seems like that they're snowballing in the other direction. And I think it proves that, at least on this issue, Steven Silas was right. He just needed to see the ball go through the bucket. And now it, now that it is, he's, he's taking more shots. He's making more shots. He's also playing with a bit more effort on defense, which is honestly something we see across the league. When guys start having more positive results with their jump shots, their scoring, then yeah, you can find a little bit of extra gear defensively as well because you're feeling good about yourself. And so I just think that, you know, you need to see it happen for more than five games. It is still a small sample, but to this point, it's everything that Steven Silas says. I do think there's some mechanics to it, but more than that, I just think it's the fact that Jabari needed to see some things go right. And now that he's seeing those things go right, that confidence, that trust is building by the game. Coming up, some additional thoughts on Jabari Smith Jr.'s 20-point scoring night. Him kind of, again, snowballing in a positive direction now, hopefully uh, here to end this Rockets season. As well as, hey, what happened at the end of this game for the Houston Rockets? Why did they kind of collapse down the stretch of this one against the Bulls? Plus, we will visit the burning topic at hand. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. and his sulking on the basketball court. We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Next game, how about Jalen Green to score more than 23.5 points? What about Jabari Smith Jr. to have more than 8.5 rebounds? How about Kevin Porter Jr. to have less than 7.5 assists? Or maybe even Tari Eason to have more than 3.5 three-pointers made. Sniper Tari Eason in full effect. So what is prize picks? It's daily fantasy sports, but how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times back on your money on any entry that you submit. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize picks has projections on everything. NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL. They've got you covered for all sports. Entries can be made in 60 seconds, or it's that simple. It's that easy. They're safe. They offer fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, I do want to have, you know, add one more point on the Jabari front before we kind of unpack a little bit. And these two points kind of tie in, uh, you know, they go hand in hand. I did think it was a little almost frustrating, kind of weird that after 
easily the best game of Jabari Smith Jr.'s career against the Pacers, we saw what was kind of a distinct lack of involvement for him again, you know, in the beginning of this game against the Bulls. Mm. Um, his first shot was a, you know, a pull-up three, which is not necessarily like a no. Jabari shot, right? It's nice that he, it's nice when we can see him hitting those. His second bucket was off the put-back offensive rebound. Uh, and those were his two shot attempts in the first quarter, I believe. So, yeah. And they also went away from him in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and, and at the very tail end of the game, right? Very, very clearly, Jabari Smith Jr. was your most effective offensive player in this game. And yet, he got no touches down the stretch of this one. It was, you know, as the Rockets were unraveling, look, they had an eight-point lead going into the fourth quarter. They had a four-point lead with just under six minutes to go, 106-102. And things just gradually unraveled for this team to where you saw... Kevin and Jalen reverting to those those poor tendencies, right? The the idea of I'm going to ISO and I'm going to break, you know, I'm going to break somebody down, but I'm not getting anybody involved. We saw multiple turnovers down the stretch of this game. The mm -hmm. Bulls' point of attack defense was really getting in the head of Jalen and Kevin, and it, it led to some really ugly basketball to where it's frustrating on a lot of different fronts where, hey, why can't Kevin and Jalen recognize that Jabari is having a good game? Why can't the head coach and Steven yeah. Silas recognize mm -hmm. that Jabari is having a good game and put him in some of those positions to succeed, right? Get him the ball at the elbow, get him on a post-up opportunity where he can, you know, just turn around and hit a quick fadeaway over the top of a defender, do something to yeah. kind of stop the bleeding. And we didn't see any of that. Yeah. And so again, you can be happy with the tankathon result. Yes. This was kind of a perfect game where yeah, they're competitive. They're leaning for a majority of the game and they, they choke it away in the final final minutes that's great for the standings but even as this game was going on similar to the Pacers game I found myself wanting the Rockets to win it from a motivational perspective and that's also sure. kind of why I was frustrated with the Spurs wins because I feel like had you Got been it. able to win the Pacers game or had you been able to win this Bulls game those wins would have felt a lot more like important against those teams teams that are still trying to play you know basketball teams that are still actively trying to win games mm -hmm. versus the Spurs that are very clearly conceding games at this point so I think that's fair and the one thing I'll say as far as the offensive structure to me that's more a reflection of the coaching staff than it is the players I do think that while Jabari has played really well over the last five games look it's a small sample in the grand scheme of a season that's almost at the 70 game mark so when you look at the totality of the evidence the guys on the court that have been your primary playmakers this season, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., Alperin, Shingun, they're not going to want to overcorrect based on a five-game run relative to the way the other 60 or 65 have gone in terms of the hierarchy. But, but, it's, but it's not overcorrecting, right? All it is is identifying the hot hand. And this well, this, it, this happened earlier this season in the in the Mavericks game where Jabari was on fire, had 14 points in the first quarter. Yeah, he was breaking yeah. the zone like crazy, and then he got iced out of the rest of the game. It's these in-game adjustments and the ability to identify in a given game, hey, this guy has it going, we need to get him the rock more. And this team fails at that consistently. And, that, and I don't know how much to put on... Jalen and Kevin for being the lead ball handlers and not identifying that in real time on the court versus the coaching yeah. staff and not being able to identify it on well, the sideline and say, hey, get this guy the ball. Yeah, I, again, I tend to do more of the latter because I think what ends up happening a lot in the games, especially when it happens in the fourth quarter, which was a big part of the equation on Saturday against the Bulls, that's where in the NBA there are designated guys on every team that in high leverage possessions, those are going to be the guys to that you run your offense through. And even if in the first 43 minutes, somebody else has the hot hand, that's something that's not distinctive to the Rockets. We see that across the league all the time. There's guys that the team will turn to when it's truly high leverage possessions 
and basically sink or swim based on their output. So I don't think that's necessarily unique to the Rockets. And for the most part this season, those guys have been Jalen, Kevin, and Alper and Shingoon, depending on whether Kevin's out there or not. You know, if both Jalen and Kevin are out there, then it's been those two. If not, it's Jalen and Alp as your top two. But regardless, some combination of those three. Eric Gordon, is just, your, your stable veteran to rely yeah, on down the stretch. Which, yeah, which Jabari basically is just a supporting piece. And so to all of a sudden change this on the fly, it's a little bit hard for them, especially when we're talking about the high leverage possessions. I do think they did it for parts of that game against the Bulls, but then especially when it gets close and late and the pressure rises, I think that's a, a bit tougher. And I think that's where you need someone on the coaching staff, the front office, whoever you want to attribute it to, to sort of step in and make it clear what the bigger picture emphasis is. Because the bottom line is Jabari Smith Jr. is probably the, the second most important asset in your organization right now after Jalen Green, talking about who's currently on the team. I know you can make a case for whoever they get in 2023, but again, we're talking about the current group. So Jabari's development, a season that's not going anywhere anyway, if you're starting to see positive signs from Jabari, you want to see how far he can take this because if he can somehow finish the year on a run, even close to Jalen a year ago, then that completely changes the complexion of how you look at this team and the rebuild going into the off season, because he is just that important to your future. A lot of these other guys we talk about, look, they're spare parts. They're going to get cycled out. Jabari is one of only two guys with Jalen that I think we feel pretty confident in saying, Hey, three years from now, this guy is for sure, or almost for sure. I know you can never say hundred percent in the NBA, but the point is they are going to be there. And so when that guy starts showing signs, it's probably not reasonable to expect kids that are 20, 21 years old to pick up on that level of nuance on the fly, especially when it goes against some of the things they've done for most of the year. But yeah, I do think organizationally, there does need to be more of sort of a you know, a reminder that, hey, that this guy is more important. Let's just be honest. They do have more invested in his development. That's why Jabari has played 30 minutes per game this season, even when he was going through his struggles, because he is that important. Well, now that he's starting to break out and show more sustained signs offensively, then it's up to the team to reward him and to see just how far he can take this run. And I hope we see that more over the coming days. But I just think, especially the nuance of the fourth quarter possessions, that's where I think you're going to need someone in a leadership capacity, coaching staff, front office, whoever you want to attribute it to, to step in more than the the players themselves. All right. And then elsewhere from, from this game also, I mean, you know, I, I was generally kind of encouraged by this game. The Rocks actually played some pretty good defense in this game, yeah, um, but they gave up an obscene number of offensive boards. Uh, Patrick Beverly walked away with five offensive rebounds in this game, a couple for Vucevic, a couple for Caruso, a couple for Drummond off the bench. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it really stings when you play a good defensive possession, you force a bad shot or a miss, and then you give up an easy second chance opportunity because you don't secure the defensive rebound. I cannot, I, I lost track of how many times the Rockets ultimately did that in this game where they gave up, you know, they, they played solid defense. They were scrambling. They were closing out on shooters, forcing tough shots from the bulls. And then you give up an easy bucket, uh, uh, which yep. is, which is uncharacteristic of this team because this team has been uh, a really solid rebounding team, rebounding. especially on the offensive glass throughout the entire season. Don't know what it was, uh, you know, in this game on Saturday where they just couldn't close out the defensive possession strong, but it's worth, uh, you know, noting that's one of the issues that they had in this game. Now let's get to Kevin Porter Jr. Who, Back in the lineup again, he's, he's you know, playing, and there were a couple occurrences from this game that we will illustrate for you, and then we will unpack here in the final segment. So bear with us. Basically, there were two occurrences in this game. One happened early on, 7.28 to play in the first quarter. 
and the Rockets are initiating an offensive possession, and Jabari Smith Jr. has the ball in the corner of the court, right corner. Mm-hmm. and Right wing. But right, yeah. yeah, right corner, right wing, kind of you know, right side of the court. And Kevin Porter Jr. is kind of, you know, floating out near the top, you know, more towards closer to the top of the key, right wing, whatever you want to call it. And Alperin Shingun is at the top of the key. And Kevin is very clearly calling for the basketball. And whether Jabari just doesn't see him or whether he just, you know, wants to get into the set quicker and is trying to get the ball back up to Shingun at the top of the key so they can initiate their little dribble handoff set, whatever it may be, Jabari passes the ball to Shingun at the top of the key. And... Kevin proceeds to immediately and very visibly react to not getting the basketball. He begins kind of sulking on the court, puts his hands on hands his on hips, his hips and the, is Harden. the Harden special and is com- feet away. Yeah, completely removed from the play. He is not spacing the floor. He's nowhere near the three point line. He's not ready to catch and shoot. He is disengaged from the play and the Rockets are playing four on five on this possession. Ultimately, Alperin Shingun does what he does and gets to the rim and, and, you know, makes a layup under, you know, a contested shot. But that was that possession. And then later in the game, uh, with 6.15 to go in the second quarter, Kevin Porter Jr. gets checked out of the game and is walking down the bench uh, and is going to take a seat. And coach, assistant coach Lionel Hollins gets up to go say something to him. And they start to have a bit of an exchange and Kevin begins to actually push Lionel Hollins away from him so much. And and depending on no idea what was said between these two guys, but there's very clearly Kevin is pushing Hollins away from him. Does not want to hear what Hollins has to say to him. Tari Eason has to wind up intervening between these two guys and winds up stepping in between the two to separate them so that whatever's going on does not further escalate. These two things happened in this Bulls game, and we are going to share our thoughts and unpack what this means and why we're seeing this behavior. And, you know, if it's a symptom of a greater issue for this Rockets team moving forward, we're going to talk about that in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. The Built Bar March Madness bracket is here. We know you have a favorite Built Bar or Puff, and now's your time to make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know that I'm going to be voting for the Coconut Brownie Chunk. And when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Built Bar. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have all of the best bars and puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You've got to try Built, the best protein bar ever. Seriously, it's so good. It's basically a candy bar that's jam-packed with protein. They're covered in delicious chocolate. They're all high-protein, low in sugar. That Seriously, real chocolate. Again, you really can't go wrong with any of the flavors that they offer. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, so hop in and support your pick. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, we started with the positivity about Jabari, and we are now just... We are careening downhill straight into the negativity with what's going on with Kevin here because Ben, frankly, I, I, there's so much to unpack from what this moment could have been. I mean, you know, maybe Kevin was frustrated. He, uh, you know, mm-hmm. up to that point in the game, uh, you know, yeah. with the with the on the court situation, you know, his reaction to Jabari not passing him in the ball, he'd only taken one shot to that point. So maybe he was feeling a bit disengaged in the offense. Maybe it's because he wanted he was trying to call a set and get them into their offense, whatever it is. But that type of reaction to me yeah. is completely and entirely unacceptable. To to force your team 
to play effectively four on five on an offensive possession and yeah. to pout because one of your guys just made a decision that you don't agree with. Clearly, he didn't agree with Jabari passing the ball to Shingun. And there's even more to unpack there. Like, was he upset simply because he didn't get the ball? Was he upset because right. Alperin Shingun was the one who got the pass and not him? I, you know, we can point back to some of his commentary from when he first came back from the injury and he was, or actually, you know, when he was gone and, you know, he did like a, a Twitter space and he was asked about coexisting with Alper and Shingun on the floor and what it would look like when he came back yeah. from injury. And he had this whole point about, you know, that's, that's kind of up to coaching or whatever, but like, I'm the point guard of this team. You know, I'm the, I'm the head honcho, head if honcho. you will. I'm the head honcho. And it, it's, that's just that just shows a distinct lack of, of leadership, maturity, whatever. And, and I hear this reaction from Rockets fans. Oh, you know, oh, you're you're making a mountain out of a molehill. It's it's a one. It's a momentary lapse in judgment, whatever. How many of these little moments do we need to see over time to start understanding that there's a there's a concerning trend here with Kevin? There is, mm-hmm. and there's there's a lot more to unpack from this. And, and we're, we're going to really get into it about what this means in the in the grand scheme of things. So uh, go ahead and share your thoughts. What do you how do you feel about this yeah. this moment? So I look at him as sort of two different situations. The latter one with Lionel Hollins, look, that is concerning, but it's the issue that we know. Anger management is a very real thing that Kevin is going to have to deal with for as long as his NBA career goes, and quite frankly, his entire life. It's something that the Rockets, ever since they acquired him in January 2021, everyone in the organization has talked about, or at least the ones that I've talked to in positions of leadership, that this is an issue. We're aware of it. He's working on it, but it's not something that you just snap your fingers and he's better the next day. No, it's a very real challenge for him. It goes back all the way, certainly to his college days when he was suspended for much of his one year at USC. This is something that's caused him problems off and on for some time. Thankfully, this exchange did not lead anywhere near to the catastrophic results of and the fallout of New Year's Day 2022 when He literally left the arena at halftime of that Rockets-Nuggets game. But I do think it's a reminder that, yes, this is still there. You don't just all of a sudden go to a few therapy sessions or whatever it is that he's taking to try and improve those weaknesses and then snap your fingers. It's like you never had the problem and you never will again. No, it's going to be an ongoing thing. What you hope is that he's able to deal with it more productively in the future. And in this case, you know, shout out to Tari Eason for sort of intervening and perhaps helping not turn this into a blow up. But honestly, just because we don't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I do think this is something that behind the scenes they've been dealing with that he's going to have to deal with. And time will tell as far as just how severe the incidents are. I mean, the hope is that... It's not to the extent of what happened against the Nuggets a year ago, but truth be told, there's some things that happen when the locker room doors are closed that we don't know, that only a select few people are in a position to really 100% say. So I hope there's been growth. There has not been the blow up that became public knowledge the way the New Year's Day incident did a year ago, but it's just a reminder when you see something like that, that yes, this is something that's always going to have to be monitored. Now, as far as the, the the play, I think there's two ways you can look at it. You can certainly look at Kevin Porter Jr. with the character questions of his past. Talks about what happened at USC, what happened at his first NBA stop of Cleveland, the soup throwing incident, everything that's defined his first couple of years in the league. And you can come to the conclusion that Jonathan Gavoni did when we had our episode a couple of weeks ago, breaking down those podcast comments in which the ESPN draft guy basically seemed to call Kevin a bad apple. And you can just throw it all in that bucket and say that this is just another 
troubling trend. And you can. I would say from my perspective as someone that watches this team every game and has some access behind the scenes, I do not think that Kevin Porter Jr. is alone in terms of the bad body language. I've definitely seen it a decent bit from Shingun. I've seen it at times from Jalen, not necessarily offensively, but defensively there's position possessions where Jalen is completely checked out. And I think with Kevin, it stands out a lot more. You notice those things because given his history, it's understandable why people are going to be looking for those types of things much more than they would with an Alperin Shingun or Jalen Green who doesn't have that type of history of something blowing up and becoming a huge incident. So we're not necessarily tracking them every possession, even when they're off the ball to the extent that people are with KPJ with KPJ. And of course it's of his own doing, he put himself in these situations. Then yeah, the microscope is on him and these things blow up. Even if it isn't, even, ben, if, ben, even, even, even if the microscope is on him, man, well, look, yeah, there, there are, yeah, there, there, there might be moments where Jalen gets dejected or is really struggling offensively. And that, you know, we can point to the really bad Timberwolves game where he just, he looked super taken, you know, all out of sorts, yeah. whatever. I have never once seen, Jalen or Shingun quit on this team. Oh, I've seen it defensively. I haven't seen no, no, it. No, no, no. There, there, there's there's a difference between getting broken down or struggling on defense versus quitting. I, I I would disagree with you on that. There have been possessions where they are completely disengaged, not just struggling, but to where they are frustrated. I haven't seen it from them on offense. But to get to the point where I think we do agree is that the people who are saying, "Oh, you're making a mountain out of a molehill," look, even if you think that is the case. There's a reason why we are looking at Kevin differently because he does have that baggage, because he does have that history. So this just sort of comes with the territory, even if it's not, even if you think it isn't a huge deal. The fact is Kevin brought it on himself. The standard is a little bit different for him relative to other guys who don't have the baggage that he does in terms of his college and MBA career to this point. So even if you want to give him the ultimate benefit of the doubt, then he brought it on himself. So I have a tough time, you know, letting him off the hook. I mean, he knows that people are going to be looking for that. And again, you know, it's a real issue. We're all flawed people. This is one of his flaws, the anger management issue. And, you know, and, I, think and it's, it's worth, I feel like it's worth noting. We are not, and I feel like I can speak for Ben on this. We're not minimizing anything to do with mental health. I'm a huge mental health advocate. Yeah. And I really do hope that whatever issues that Kevin is working with as Agreed. a human being off the court, he gets and seeks the help that he needs and he can work through all of that. I'm with that 100%. But here's the issue is if, if things like this keep happening and if it is adversely impacting the organization, I yeah. think there is a, there is a very legitimate concerning trend as to how, Kevin has adversely impacted the organization consistently due to the concerns and the perception that he has so, about his character. And it goes all the way back to the fact that Evan Mobley wanted nothing to do with the Houston Rockets because of the connections that he has with USC. Like Evan Mobley didn't want anything to do with the Rockets. And maybe again, maybe it doesn't matter because the Rockets ultimately decided they wanted Jalen Green anyways. That's not the way that I heard it went down, but I don't even think that's the, I think the bigger picture we're in agreement on, which is that, when you have this type of history, any incident like what happened last night, even if it's just one possession, one little scrape with an assistant coach, and you know, you see this a lot around the NBA, like assistant coaches, you know, they are the bad cops sometimes. 
and or, or head coaches, depending on the situation, and things can get a little bit chippy and you move on. People made a huge deal out of, you know, James and Chris during that 2018 run, uh, the first run, of, or was it 2019? I can't remember which year. But ultimately, they had that exchange in Utah and they moved past it. These things happen. But with Kevin, it is different based on his history, based on the fact that these are very real issues. And, and yeah, it, and it's different based on he's just not that caliber of player is the problem. This, this entire and this is this is what drives me insane. Ben is this organization has it's been over without, backwards. Yeah, it, it's the hardened move without being James yes, Harden basketball like, player. They, again, there is a reason James Harden gets the rope that he does, or LeBron, or Giannis, or Kawhi. These guys who are top 10, top 15 players, they can do whatever the hell they want. They can take plays off. They can be frustrated. They can voice yeah. their frustration. This organization sort of walks on eggshells around Kevin, and they bend over backwards to cater to him. And this is this is very much organizational top to bottom, right? The front office has built a team that where really only Kevin and Jalen can succeed. The entire team is built around those guys offensively, the philosophy of how they play. It's all catered to those, those two guys to have success. We've seen that they don't really have any systems in place yeah. for Jabari or Shingun to really thrive or succeed. Everything they do is built around those two guys. And that's where it gets really confusing is again, they've sunk so much. Rafael Stone has sunk a lot and put a lot of eggs in the Kevin Porter Jr. bucket. And it's a concerning trend at this point because you would have hoped that by now they could have maybe identified, hey, Kevin is probably like, yeah, there's some talent there, but you know, if there are concerns about how he's going to react to, I don't know, like some more heavy handed coaching or a more direct coaching approach. Very clearly, Steven Silas has his personality and the way that he chooses to handle things. I feel like the Rockets are essentially out of runway to see what they've got with Kevin Porter Jr. Because they yeah. could have they could have experimented more this year, right? Maybe Kevin uh, in a different system under a more established head coach who's going to demand the most out of him and really you know get him to be the best version of himself. Maybe Kevin can still find some some legitimate success as an NBA player and be a, a part of a winning organization down the line. But the Rockets could have attempted that this year. They could have moved on from Steven Silas and identified he's not the guy. Yeah. And they could have brought in a guy, a more established coach, somebody who was going to really hold Kevin accountable and really try and get the most out of him as a player. And yet they didn't do that. And because mm. of where the organization is at and what they want to try and achieve starting next season, you have no more room. You have no more runway to experiment. You want to be good next year. You can't commit a quarter of a season or a half season just to see how Kevin would react to a different circumstance, right? Maybe they bring him off the bench yeah. as the sixth man or you move him to the small forward spot. Very clearly, he has been gassed up and okay. told, I'm the point guard, this is my team, I'm the head honcho, I'm gonna run the show. Everything we hear about it and the way the organization kind of treats him is concerning. And I don't know how you walk so, all that back in one off season. Well, you could trade him and then he's not on the roster. You could, no, and I mean, look, I'm, I'll, I'll jump on that train in a hot second, but I'm my point is essentially, they had opportunities to maybe maximize or really yeah. see what they could have gotten out of Kevin. Yeah. And it feels like they were just content to just run this experiment back a second season. And we haven't really learned anything new. In fact, I feel like we have even more question marks about him moving forward. And when you have these little moments that pop up, this adds a little bit more fuel to the fire to say, well, what, what's the point in keeping him? Again, you can't have a play. You cannot have a player yeah. quitting on your team so, on the basketball court. You just can't. Yeah. So there's two ways you can look at it. And one quick point before I get into those, as far as the Evan Mobley thing, the way I heard it, and again, this is a bit of, you know, he said, he said, it's not like either of us can prove that we're right. 
the way I heard it was more the Rockets were locked in on Jalen Green, especially early on in the process, basically from the moment they got that number two pick in June of 2021 or whatever it was. And it became a situation where Mobley knew there was basically no chance he was going to the Rockets. And we see this happen in drafts all the time where a guy who once they learn that they're going to drop a spot or two relative to where they could go, then they try and spin it PR wise, find every angle that they can to say, Hey, this is better for me. Anyway, I didn't want to be there because they know ultimately that they're not going to be there. And so they just try and spin it as positively as they can. It's not that I fell or that somebody didn't want me. No, it's that I didn't want them. That's a pretty common technique. And so that's the way I've heard it. I'm not saying there can't be some of, you know, your side of the story as well. Just want to clarify my view on that ultimately though i don't i don't really think it changes the broader narrative regardless of whether uh which of us is right on that particular angle as far as no but kevin, the, but, the, but the, nar- the narrative is the sacrifices the organization have made right, around right. kevin he, and yes, that that yes, is that a does pretty not change regardless that, of, well that is a yeah. pretty notable potential sacrifice there from what at least from my understanding of the situation that you know there were some you know internal desire potentially yeah they did eventually hone in more on jalen but to not even have it as an option yeah, due to you know concerns around evan mobley's circle the fact that his dad was on the usc coaching staff and had a front court, you know, front seat view at all, you know, everything that went on behind the scenes, just like we alluded to earlier, right? All the stuff that we are never privy to that doesn't ever make it out of the locker room. The stuff that you see going on behind the scenes. Didn't want his son associated with that. So if that's correct, then yeah, I agree. Like that would be catastrophically ridiculous and stupid to let a guy you basically got for free as a lottery ticket based on all the baggage that, he'd already accumulated by the end of his stint in Cleveland. And you let that dictate your thinking for an asset as high as the number two overall pick in a strong draft class. I don't think personally that's what happened. What I think happened is that they wanted Jalen Green over Evan Mobley for basketball reasons. I think they had the Evan Mobley option. I think they simply chose Jalen Green because they preferred and still prefer him as a basketball prospect. Now, could they be wrong? Yes, because I'll say I'm not sunshine and roses on this i was team mobley i wanted them to draft mobley that's why i've asked behind the scenes about this a lot to try and understand how this went down because again i'm not someone that's just trying to feed you propaganda no i was in the mobley camp myself i'm a big believer no ben you're a propaganda pusher that's all you did (laughs) know but i i just think that they chose Jalen not because of KPJ, not because Mobley wasn't interested in Houston, but because they genuinely believed and still believed that Jalen has more upside as a basketball prospect. Could they be wrong? Absolutely. I just don't think that particular decision was based on extracurricular stuff related to Kevin. However, to your point, if it somehow was, that would be catastrophically stupid to let basically just a a flyer, a lottery ticket on a guy who obviously had concerns. That's why they got him as cheaply as they did from Cleveland. Dictate what you do with an asset. Also, my that- point is b- both things can coexist. The Rockets did sure. ultimately land on Jalen. They, they did. They, you know, they were evaluating both prospects. At least that's my understanding of it. They, they did. They warmed up to Jalen. They, they identified him as the guy. The concern is that you had to even factor in that can that that situation with Kevin at all right the fact yeah. that, that that you know that that may or may not have impacted some decisions behind the scenes where they maybe ultimately tip the scales a little bit more one direction or maybe the scales were tipped in the beginning stages of the process because like well like we kind of think that'd be really guy, really but, bad yeah I think it'd be really really bad uh I agree like I I personally don't think that happened but I, I mean yeah we can't prove it and the Rockets just like Kevin the Rockets have not proven that they deserve the benefit of the doubt so I can't sit here and tell you Jackson you, you know you're wrong that 
you know, you're just being, you know, what was it? The thread on Reddit where they called you out for being too mean. I'm being, I, I'm being too negative. I am a yeah. clown. <laughs> yeah. No, shout, I, no. Shout out to r slash rockets. I, I love, the, I yeah, love the rockets. Yeah. Reddit. No, the, the bottom line is, yeah, they have not earned that benefit of the doubt. And the same is true of Kevin. So while I can tell you that I personally have not heard that, look, I can't tell you that, that, that you're wrong and they have not proven enough to be worthy of giving consistently that benefit of the doubt. Now you shouldn't go to the other extreme either and just assume the worst. But again, you can just sort of, you know, draw your own conclusions, which is what we're all trying to do here. As far as the incident with Kevin, though, there's, in my opinion, there's just two ways you can frame it. And there is some overlap between the two. If it's, if it's about Kevin, if it's something that's disproportionately worse than anything that Jalen Alperin Shingun or any other young player on your roster has done, then this is not a new issue. Why did you give him a contract extension if this is something that has been regularly happening? Why, unlike a year ago, is there no other option at point guard, which is sort of the de facto leadership position on most NBA teams? A year ago, you had DJ Augustine and Dennis Schroeder. This year, you have Dacian Nix. That's why, for all we talk about Kevin, look, the bottom line is, you know, I've crunched the numbers for Rockets Wire a lot. They're on like a 22-23 win pace when Kevin plays, and they're on like an 11-win pace when he doesn't. So say what you will, but, you know, he's one of their three most talented players. And, and uh, you, I know you were asking the why kind of rhetorically, but Ben, that's the why is because everything around this roster is built to make Kevin look good and right. to have him. There's succeed. no alternative. Yes. Yeah, there's no alternative. Yes, I agree. And so if he's really is this bad apple and you think it's all on Kevin and it's not something deeper, then. Why are there no alternatives? Why did you give him a contract? Be extension? Because Rafael Stone has hitched his wagon to Kevin, and that's, that's the concerning way, trend. That's one. Way, that's one way you can frame it. The other way to frame it, and I think there's some truth to this as well. I have seen Jalen and LP and some others as well. I know in summer league there were a lot of things that they didn't like about the way Josh Christopher uh, conducted himself. Although he has gotten better through this season, and I like the form he's shown the last few weeks. For everyone that comes at us and says, did Steven have a realistic chance? And we know if they move on from the coaching staff in the offseason, there's going to be this narrative that Steven Silas was set up to fail, that he never had an opportunity, that the team is just this bad, that nobody could have won with these guys. And for example, Stephen A. Smith will be running with that angle in two seconds as soon as the Rockets and Steven part ways, assuming that's what happened. This is the answer to that. This is the kind of thing, the day-to-day environment, the culture that a coach theoretically can control. Because for me, you know, Kevin is part of it. And yes, he has his own issues. I've seen it at times with other guys too. We're just not necessarily watching them like a hawk because they don't have the baggage that Kevin does. But this is the kind of thing, even if the team isn't good, then a credible coaching staff should be able to at least maintain a better consistency of effort. That's what has been really alarming about this team at various junctures of this season. I, to me, this is just sort of the latest um, the latest example of it. I do think it's from the same place as some of the other things that we've seen at times this year. And this is the exact type of thing, even in a rebuild, even on a really young team, Look at the way other teams, I know we use Oklahoma City a lot. We can throw in San Antonio as well. I think we saw the Rockets and Spurs play each other two games a week ago. The Rockets were far more talented and they won both of those games to their credit. Yet the Spurs for the season as a whole basically have the same record. Actually, they're a game better now because they beat the Nuggets the other night. 
which thank goodness they did for the draft odds. But the point I'm trying to make is that the Spurs clearly have lesser talent, but led by Greg Popovich, they play harder. There is more structure. There is more accountability. Even if you want to give Kevin Porter Jr. some benefit of the doubt here, then this is the exact type of situation, and there are others before, that the coaching staff can control. And quite frankly, even if it is Kevin, okay, then you can sit him down. Then you can deal with it some way that shows that this is not okay. But this is the type of thing, whether you want to pile it on a Kevin individually or look at it, and, and I tend to look at it more this way, that it's just a symptom of a larger problem with the focus of this team and the day-to-day culture, then this is the type of thing that even on a bad roster, even in a rebuild, this is one thing that a coach can to some degree control, and they are not. And I suppose you can tie that into the front office as well if you want, because ultimately, whether the coach stays in place, I mean, that's the choice of the front office and ownership. And, so, and, and ultimately, here's the issue, Ben, is whether or not the front office, whether or not, you know, we, we don't know to the degree to which the front office has, you know, meddled yeah. or requested that certain certain guys see certain amounts of time on the floor, whatever. But it's very clear that, you know, Jalen, Kevin, and Jabari get their minutes regardless. And it makes yes. sense for Jalen and Jabari because that's the number two and the number three overall pick. But for some reason... Kevin, there's not the investment. So, there's not. Yeah. And again, it feels very sunk cost at this point to where, again, I know you were being rhetorical with your questions. Why this? Why that? Why, why, why? Earlier on. But it, it's very... It, there's a clear tie all the way back to... Rafael Stone. And there is. The front office has committed a lot to Kevin Porter Jr. over these two years, two and a half years, and it's a lot to try and walk back from. And it's almost to a point where it kind of feels like they really need Kevin to succeed. Otherwise, they're going to have to shoulder that blame for, man, we, we sunk all this into Kevin and it just it didn't work out, right? We we sacrificed development for guys like Jabari and Shingun because we were prioritizing the tandem duo of Kevin and Jalen. And that's been the concerning trend is throughout this entire two-year stretch, it, you know, everything that the organization has done, the entire message has always been Kevin and Jalen, Kevin and Jalen, Kevin and Jalen. That's concerning. Yes, everything they do on a nightly basis is geared towards getting Jalen, you know, as many shots as possible. Thankfully, he's still very clearly the number one priority, all of that. But the fact that Kevin is number two in all of that, and it's not Although, Shingun or Jabari or that they've that they've placed so much, so again, so many of their eggs in that one basket thinking he's going to be the guy, it's concerning that you haven't been able to identify, hey, Maybe he's not, or maybe we need to, to diversify a little bit and branch out and really, yeah. you know, add some systems for Jabari to flourish or for Shingun to flourish. Yeah. yeah. Now, in fairness, one thing I will point out is that in this recent 20-game stretch where Kevin didn't play at all, Jabari did not play well, and Shingun actually tailed off. Because they have no systems built he, around them to thrive. I agree. I, I agree. But what I'm saying is that it's not like they're actively being held back i mean yes it's more of a reflection of the fact that the what? roster outside yeah. of Kevin, what yes they are actively being held back ben disagree no fully disagree. no dude seriously like what at what point do we ever again jabari has certain strengths and the coaching staff refuses to ever lean into them and we've had this argument you know why did jabari start start the year off so poorly because they turned him into a three and d guy they expected him to just yes he should have been hitting wide open threes absolutely at no point did they make an effort to make him feel like he was involved in the offense that is an indictment of the coaching staff. What, what, what even in the, and, and in the 20 games out, right? We saw Shin Hub for 10-ish games of that stretch, and then it tailed off. But 
no, at no point were they designing like offensive sets around Shingun in the post with cutting and screening. It was just, it was just more touches for Shingun at the elbow and in the post. And he made, he made a lot, he did a lot of work with those touches. And at points, it looked really, really good. But there's not like offensive sets being built around these guys or systems being put in place for them to really flourish as like a focal point within the system. So, Everything is still catered for Jalen and Kevin. So with Jabari, I mean, these are two different situations. With Jabari, I mean, we had this discussion a month ago when the Mark Spears article came out and the Steven Silas quote was in there about, you know, we don't run any plays for him. And it, it gets into if a guy's not shooting well, are you going to make his confidence even worse by asking him to do stuff before he's ready? And I do think that that's an undercurrent with Jabari. It's a chicken and egg dilemma because they yeah. didn't do it in the first place earlier in the season before you had the sample size to look at to say, yeah, he can't shoot. They did. I get, I guess, but I also we give him at least some credit that hopefully with a, an asset that high that they are going to give him every opportunity if he's ready and they're going to look at him in training camp. And I think they figured out that he wasn't. And I mean, you can make the argument that it, it, that it came later, that I guess his struggles came because he wasn't used in this way. But I, I think that would be an incredible degree of, of um, incompetence if you weren't prioritizing a number three overall pick who was showing you that he was ready. I do tend to give them the benefit of the doubt on that. With Shingun, I think your point is well taken in regards to touches are not the same as truly having a team-wide systemic structure built around him. That That's a fair distinction. Where I was going with the fact that Kevin wasn't holding him back was the sense that, look, we got to see a large sample of all P without Kevin and there wasn't the jump that many people, including me, were hoping that we might see over those games. I was curious to see what would happen. And I was a little bit disappointed, quite frankly, that he wasn't able to do more with those opportunities by being more of a focal point of the offense than he was before. And so I felt a little bit, I mean, burned is strong, but, you know, just underwhelmed. But your point is well taken that it's not just about how many shot attempts, how many touches does he get. It's also about, you know, the other four players and how are they all being utilized? Are they cutting? And of course, some of this, you know, I'm sure Steven Silas, if he was on here, would say, look, I can do all these things. But then if they don't cut, if one of the guys and now we're not talking about Kevin here, we're talking using the hands on hips example, I guess, metaphorically, because we're talking about the 20 game stretch that Kevin didn't play. But if somebody wants to put his hands on his hips and not make those types of cuts then it, you know, it's tough to 100% say what is but, you know, on the coaching staff and what's on the players. But regardless, even if it is on the players, that they're supposed to do things that they're just not doing because they're young or whatever, then okay, then that's where the coaching staff can potentially step in and make it clear that this is not acceptable. That's where I was going with the Shingu not necessarily being held back example because I think he just had a pretty long sample size and and it was a little bit underwhelming compared to under underwhelming. How man in that 20 games that Kevin missed, he averaged 15 and a half, almost nine boards and then almost six assists a game. He had the 30 piece against the Lakers. He had a couple triple doubles that was the in there. Start. Like, that was the start. That was the start. Yes. The, there was a, there was about a five to 10 game stretch uh, right after the injury. Yeah, I agree. Like that Lakers game in particular was crazy. But then if you look at the month of February and the way this thing trended, it was a struggle. And of course it culminated in those games after the all-star break where Silas didn't even want to keep him on the floor. The games at golden state and Portland. That's what I'm saying. The positive Shingun games, there were some, yes, but it was very early on after Kevin left the last 10 to 12 games of that 20 game sample. were not that good. You might can still say the overall numbers are solid based on, you know, the fact that they're sort of propped up by that start, 
but for whatever reason, it was not trending in the right direction. And I do think that you can make a valid argument, as you did, that it's not just Shingun failing to take advantage of an opportunity, that it is in part the fact that the system is not fully optimized to him. And then once there's more of a scouting report from other teams, other teams get more tape, then they can adjust to what Shingun was doing. And then it's tougher to adjust on the fly. That's a reasonable disagreement. And I, I, I guess the, the bigger picture where I was trying to go with with the Shingun Kevin Angle, regardless of where you assign the blame, even if you want to, I mean, quite frankly, it's on either side. If you want to put the vast majority of it on Kevin and just say that the organization sunk too much into him, that he's a bad apple, that they just need to move on, then okay, that's, you know, certainly the front office for not having any other option this year. You know, we talked about Dacian Nix, uh, Ty Ty Washington as a late first run rookie. Those are your only other options and those are not realistic to keep this team functional nowhere near the augustine and shooter from a year ago that's in the front office and also you know the coaching staff can step in and say hey this is not acceptable if he does something like that sit him don't let him play and if you think it's more team-wide then okay that's on the coaching staff as well because they're the ones that maintain that day-to-day environment they're the ones that have the choice to tolerate or not tolerate certain habits certain decisions that are made by these guys not to play hard to let their emotions take over in certain spots and you know that's why i said during the middle of the week you know this is a bit broader than than kevin although i certainly think this applies to him as well the rot of losing with this team is so damn evident you can see when they have things going they can look really really competent for certain stretches even against good teams like Brooklyn last Tuesday. I thought they they started that game very bright. I thought they looked really strong early in the game. And then as soon as Brooklyn started making a counterpunch, as soon as they made adjustments, you could see the body language slump. It's here we go again. And I've seen that time and time again, and it probably makes sense that Kevin is at the forefront of that list in terms of guys that um, that struggle with that, given his, his history, given the issues that we know he has as far as anger management. But I... I just think that, number one, it is going on elsewhere. And secondly, look, these are the things that as a coaching staff, as a front office, as an organization, you have an ability to have more of a heavy hand, to step in, to make it clear that these things aren't going to be tolerated. They, they've, and been, for, they've been pretty complacent with Yeah, the, and the so that's what I'm saying. Like, Even if you give Kevin the benefit of the doubt, then the issue in and of itself should still be raised. It, it is alarming. And I do think, by the way, you can make an argument for sure that the organization does, for whatever reason, seem to seem to scapegoat some players more than others. For example, Josh Christopher early in the season after Summer League. I think you know that was someone they're trying to make an example out of. And we've seen them do it at times lately with uh, Shingun and his defense. But these are not issues related to just one or two players, and certainly not just to them. These are issues that you can see up and down the roster including Kevin and others as well, and they are held to a different standard. They get a longer leash for whatever reason. And so I guess, you know, the best way to sort of wrap up and tie it all together, in my opinion, it is a big deal. I do think there's an argument you can make that it's not just about Kevin, that he's just a symptom of a larger problem and that other guys in the team are fighting through the same things. And so maybe we shouldn't make it solely about him. But it is still a big deal, even if even if you want to 
say that, hey, like he's not the only guy. Okay, well, if he's not the only guy, then it's problematic that other guys are doing it too. This is the type of thing why you need a coaching staff to come in with accountability, with structure to, you know, at times be willing to be the bad cop, the analogy that you've made in the past. And again, I just go back to those Spurs games. I, I made this point earlier, and I guess it's a good spot to sort of close on. The Spurs are sort of the anti-Rockets. They have less talent, but when you play them, you can see they maximize that talent because Greg Popovich and that staff is getting the best out of them. There are things that they just simply will not tolerate in terms of the day-to-day -day environment. But the Rockets, even though there's more talent, they clearly tolerate more things as well. And I do think that this is just the latest example of a, you know, a longer trend of that. On that note, I'm sure this is a topic that we're going to revisit as, you know, throughout the end of the season. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is not going away, going away anytime soon, That's at true. least as far as the rest of the season is concerned. So I'm sure we'll have more thoughts on this further down the line. We went way overboard today, but we had a lot to unpack. Uh, on that note, Ben, let everyone know where they can track you down at. Yep. Uh, the Rockets Wire on Twitter, the Logger Line on Twitter, and RocketsWire.usatoday.com. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Give us your thoughts on Jabari Smith Jr. Give us your thoughts on the Kevin Porter Jr. situation. All of that in the comments. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.